So let me uh, welcome up Edwin Shores. Oh, by the way, it's Edwin Danger Shores. That's his real name. Thank you. Uh, so every time I get the mic up here, I end up sticking my foot in my mouth, and hopefully that doesn't happen tonight. Um, but I'm going to give my testimony tonight, uh, basically the way I came to accept Christ and kind of who I was before I accepted Christ. Um, and really to understand where I'm coming from, you kind of have to understand the world I was born into. So the story kind of starts with my mother. She was 16 when she had me. Uh, her family just became a broken home. Uh, parents divorced. Dad moved out. Mom was actually suffering from cancer. And she started hanging out with one of her older sisters who was kind of more into the gang life. That got her kind of tied in with the wrong people. She ended up getting pregnant by her 24-year-old neighbor who was an ex-gangbanger. And that's how I was made. <laughs> uh, she knew that she would have to hide her pregnancy because if her parents found out it'd be an abortion. So she hid me for seven months. And really what ended up saving me, she had worked at a Planned Parenthood. So she had seen the bags of baby body parts getting pulled out, and she knew she didn't want that for her own kid. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that's really what saved my life, is my mom saw what abortion really was. So she hid me. Sure enough, her parents brought her uh, into abortion clinic when they found out, and luckily it was too late. She broke down with the doctor and let, let the doctor know she never wanted to do the abortion. That's why she had to hide me. So thank you, Mom, for saving my life. Um, but with that, the next step, she didn't want me to be born a bastard either. I know that's a funny term. Uh, so she married my father. Uh, not really the best choice. He's kind of a dirtbag, and you're going to find out why in a couple seconds. But they get married, and the world I'm born into is with this ex-gangbanger teaching me right and wrong. And let's just say he raised me to be a, pretty much a psychopath. Uh, he himself, what he valued in life was power and being respected, and that's what he taught me. That's all that really matters, is that people respect you. If they get in your face, you knock them out of your face. If somebody looks at you wrong, or somebody looks at your girl wrong, you knock them down. That's what I grew up with. Women were an object. Um, the first time I ever gave a cat call out to a woman, I think I was four. Uh, first time I ever asked like a full-grown woman to have sex with me, I was probably about four or five. Uh, first time I ever drank, got drunk, I was about four. First time I ever smoked pot, I was about six. When my mom wasn't around, him and I would sit there and watch pornography together. He was making a monster. Uh, those were the seeds he planted in my heart. And eventually, well, let me say this too, him in his own life, he was struggling. He was teaching me these things to make, to make me happy one day, but he wasn't happy. He was struggling with depression. Uh, one night, or one day, we're all in the car, my, my mom, my sister, and I, and he decided he was going to drive off a cliff and kill us all. He was tired with life. And luckily, she was able to talk him out of it. Um, but that's who he was, and that's who he was making me into. Eventually, my mom, she got tired of being cheated on and beaten. So one night uh, with her kids, we ran for our lives. And shortly after, there was a divorce. And now I only saw him on the weekends. Uh, he started changing for a little while. He's actually the first one to bring me to a Christian church. We went to a place called Set Free. It was a, a ministry that focused on bikers, gang members, and it did really well. Uh, for a while, every week when I saw him, it turned away from him telling me about sleeping with women to street, street witnessing, going to alleyways and finding these gangbangers, and I saw full-grown men crying and accepting Christ right there on the street. Unfortunately, though, the church had a bad pastor. He, he was taking money from the church, and my dad and that whole thing lost all his faith. Uh, didn't want anything to do with church at all. Shortly after, he decided he didn't want to pay child support either, and he fled. Uh, when I was about seven, I'd I just found out from my mom one day, like, you're not going to see him again. He left. No goodbyes, no phone calls, no letters, nothing. Just gone. 
So luckily uh, for me, my mom, she started coming to Christ on her own terms. And at the same time, she started dating the man who had become my stepfather, who was a Christian. A lot of people that grow up in the church, they take certain things for granted. Uh, but really, when I was seven and eight, that was the first time I'd ever heard of stories like Noah's Ark, who Abraham was, Adam and Eve. And that was all through my stepdad, who was introducing Christ to us for the first time. And I'd always loved God, even though I didn't know who God was. But now I was kind of given, getting an idea of who God was, who Jesus was. I had heard the name before. I had no idea they were the same person. None of that stuff. Not until my dad, my stepdad, came into the picture and told me. So about fourth grade, I'm going to Calvary Chapel in Cyprus. And they did an altar call in Sunday school. And that's when I raised my hand. I went up there and I accepted Christ. Unfortunately, though, I didn't know how to foster that relationship. So I knew who God was and I accepted Jesus as my God. But that's where it stopped. I didn't do anything else. The seeds my birth father had put in my heart, they continued to grow. So I became a very, well, self-centered but angry person. Pride and power was still what I went after. I was really good at manipulating people. My parents, the kid they saw, was a loving kid, sixth grader. He listened, he was decent enough. The kids at school, they saw a guy that cussed like a sailor who controlled people. On more than one occasion, I had friends get in a fist fight over who got to stand next to me while we walked. Uh, when I wanted to fight somebody, they wouldn't hesitate. They would grab the person down, hold them down, because they knew what I was going to do, and I'd just sit there and take blows on, on people that couldn't defend themselves. That's who I was. Everything was about power. Um, and those seeds continued to grow and continued to grow, and they turned from petty stuff like that to actual hatred. When a regular kid, I think, gets angry, and I don't know, because, I, again, I came from a different background, but I think when you get angry at your parents, you usually blow it off or you forgive them. For me, because pride and being the top dog and not submitting to anybody, that's what was instilled in my heart. I went a different route. Bless you. Um, when my parents would get me mad, I would start plotting how to kill them, how I'm going to get them back. But I was smart enough because I knew if I killed them at age 12 or 13, I won't get away with it. So I was waiting until I had a driver's license. So that way I had an escape route. Um, and yeah, you guys didn't know that. But that's, that's the reality. I was, uh, I was dying inside, you know, pretty much... Just hate. Well, it's funny how God takes the small things in life and makes the prideful very humble with them. I have this horrible fear, a really dumb fear, cockroaches. I'm terrified of them. I can't even touch a dead body of a cockroach. So one night, I'm talking back to my mom. She made something for dinner I didn't like, and I tell, I'm telling her I'm going to get cereal instead. So I'm reaching in the cupboard, putting her in her place, and I feel something on my arm. And I look up, and the biggest, ugliest cockroach ever is going down my arm with its wings open, coming straight from my head. And I knocked it off, and I, I freaked out. Uh, it was the scariest moment of my life up to that point. And I went to bed that night thinking about how terrified I was over something that couldn't even hurt me. And then I started thinking about hell. How much more terrifying is hell, if it's real? Am I going to hell, or am I going to heaven if I died right now? You see, I knew who Jesus was, I knew he was God, but my faith was through my stepfather. I didn't know who he was myself. My stepfather was telling me, Jesus is God. My birth father was telling me, that stuff really doesn't matter. There is a God, but making yourself happy is what really matters. My grandma was also in the picture. She was Buddhist, and I was hearing about Buddha at the same time. So who was right in all of this? So I picked up my Bible that night, and I started reading. I started in the book of Matthew. And... I asked God to really reveal himself to me. I, I didn't know who he was. You know, if, if the Bible's right, show me that it is. 
The next morning I woke up and I prayed again and I read my Bible again. At lunch I read it again and at dinner. And I kept doing this until I got to Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew chapter 5 really changed my perspective on a lot of things. The Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the whole idea of not avenging yourself when people do you wrong and turning the other cheek. And I decided to give God a chance on what he was saying, so I started following that. That night, actually, I, I prayed. I, I apologized to God for everything I had done in my heart. I prayed for him to change it, to chip away at that ice. And I told myself, the only way I'm going to know if this is real, I actually have to do what the word says. I'll never forget the first time I was at school. And now that I think about it, the guy would have beat the crud out of me. But a much bigger guy comes up and he challenges me to a fight. And biting my lip and saying, no, I won't fight you. That was tough. Because <laughs> I wanted to punch that guy so bad. But I knew Jesus didn't want me to punch that guy. And that was the, the beginning of it, just turning the other cheek and knowing that I don't have to be the strongest guy. I don't have to defend myself and everything. I could be humble. I could be loving. Uh, it was a really hard lesson to learn, but I did. I stopped cussing. Um, myself, maybe my friends started seeing it. The guys I hung out with, I stopped sitting with them at lunch. The enemies I had, I started sitting with them at lunch to show them love and compassion. And sure enough, it worked. They invited me in with open arms, guys that had hated me. Just because I went and sat next to them at lunch, all of a sudden we're best friends. And I let that keep growing and growing in me. And I've never regretted turning away from that life I, I was, lead, was on, that path I was on. Unfortunately, my father, he stayed on the path he was on. When I was 16, he came back into my life. And I decided, I decided to give him a chance because the Bible says to honor your parents. So I, I gave him an opportunity to come and talk to me and, and give him a chance to get back in my life, even though I hadn't seen him for years. But nothing had changed. He sat there for the hours I gave him, telling me how one day when I'm married, I'll understand why it's okay to beat women. How one time when his dad got in his face, he pulled a gun out in his dad's face to show him that he's in charge. And how one time when his sister was giving him lip at the dinner table, he grabbed his plate and broke it across her face. And these were the lessons he was still trying to teach me. And I decided, you know what, like, I just can't have this guy in my life. He's going to just try bringing me down again. So we parted ways that night. When I turned 28, about three days later, I found out my dad committed suicide. He was alone and depressed, behind a gym, living in a shack, and he took his life. And it was really an eye-opener. That could have been me if Christ hadn't changed my heart. I could have been my dad. I probably would have been my dad. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a, just a reminder that life's short. We make relationships with people, and sometimes they're not the best relationships. But if you're strong enough, and if you know Christ, don't give up on people, because there's still time to save their soul. So lastly, I'd like to say, if any of you guys are anywhere where I was, where you're struggling with anger or anything, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, uh, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you guys. And that's it. Thank you. Let's get into our scripture reading. We're in 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse 7 tonight. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. <clears throat> and again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. 
Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, or I, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Lord God, we thank you for this time, and we do pray as we read your word, Lord, that you would help us, give us understanding, Lord. But more than understanding it, God, we ask for the application in our lives, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit to apply it, and we pray, dear God, that we would live lives honoring to you. So we give this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I want to say that uh, being up here teaching uh, means I'm not off the hook for everything I'm teaching. In fact, I'm even more so on the hook for, for as I, I study the scriptures, I find myself just living through the messages. And uh, last week I gave an illustration, I don't know if you remember, but I, I was talking about the love of God and the love of the Father and how even when our kids are messy and I, I was talking about the virus, you know, if they get a cold and they're all snotty and they come up and they want to give you a hug, how you're still excited to love your kid and hug them. Well, we, were, we went to Farmer Boys after, after church last week, and, and I, I'm still wondering if I got set up on this. I'm not sure. But we were sitting there, and Claire, my middle daughter, comes up to me, and she's like, Daddy, I love you. And I see her hands, and she's just got these greasy fingers. I mean, I've never seen so much grease on hands. This was, like, extremely greasy. And she comes up like, Daddy, I love you. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was like, <laughs> wipe your hands first. And then all of a sudden... The Bonillas and my wife, they all just kind of look at me. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, <laughs> I was like, okay, I get it, Lord. But then, so I got a second chance this week. Lucy uh, got a cold. And Lucy, uh, I don't know what happens when kids get colds. They, it's just terrible. And uh, Lucy had just... Slime coming out of every orifice. I don't even know how this is possible. But anyway, she says, Daddy, I want to kiss. I'm like, okay, I'm going in. <laughs> Just <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> so anyway, I got a chance to, to, to love her. And, um, but I thought that was funny. Tonight, as we continue on in 1 John in this letter, remember we're really talking about abiding in Christ. The word abiding means to live, to take up residence, to, to, to live it out. So we're not talking about just hearing and forgetting or hearing and acknowledging and then continuing on our own way. We're talk about, talking about living it out. And, and tonight, as John opens up, he says, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. Well, actually, it is also a new commandment. And what he's talking about in this old commandment that is also a new commandment is the idea of love, the commandment to love. Well, love who? 
Well, when we look at the scriptures, Deuteronomy 6.5 tells us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the first and greatest commandment is to love God and to not love any other God, but to only love God, to have that vertical relationship with God. And then Jesus summed it up by saying, here's what the commandments can be summed up as, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the old commandment that John is reaffirming that is also a new commandment because it was old commandment. It sums up the entire law. In fact, when we look at the Ten Commandments, these aren't thou shalt nots. I know we tend to look at them and go, okay, this is a party pooper list. That's what this is. Uh, you can't do this. But really, when you start thinking about that list, it's all the things to do to have relationship with God and relationship with others. It's all the things to do to live long in the land as the scripture teaches. Love the Lord your God. Don't love anyone else. Well, what's the result of not loving God? Death. What, what's the result of, of sleeping with your neighbor's wife? Could be death. Definitely it'll be bad. What's the result of stealing from people? What's the result of murdering people? It's always going to end in your bad. So God, knowing your sinful mind, knowing our sinful hearts, knowing our stubbornness, has to spell it out for us so we understand what it means to love him and love our neighbors. And that's what those Ten Commandments, so I, I actually heard one time the Ten Commandments called the Tender Commandments. I really like that because that's really what it is. It's for your good, for my good, that God gave us commands. The only problem was with the law, we were still powerless to obey it. That was the problem. See, we can see, don't do this, but as Paul describes in his letter to the Romans that sin seizing the opportunity in me causes me to want it all the more. It's kind of like a kid being told, don't touch the cookies. And the cookies are out and they're fresh baked and they smell so good. I had this problem when I was a kid. You would never guess it. <laughs> My mom made cakes and they were like the awesome cakes, especially for kids, the cakes that you have at the parties with the sugar frosting. Oh, it was so good. And my mom put out a cake on the counter. She had made it for my classroom for the next day. And she's like, I got to go pick up your sister from, from Girl Scouts or something. For some reason, I was the only one home. And I don't know why. I was like in eighth, third or fourth grade. But anyway, I was the only one home. And I was watching the A-team. And I said, no problem. I'll just stay here watching the A-team. But like Hannibal says, I love it when a plan comes together. Mom left. And I went over to that cake, and I looked at that cake. I was like, oh, man. Mom said no. But sin, seizing the opportunity in me, says just kind of, just maybe a little bit where she won't notice. And I took a little bit of cake. Oh, that frosting was so good. And then I went back to watching 18. Okay, I'm going to go for a little more. And before my mom had gotten back, I, for some reason, in my mind, had convinced myself she wouldn't notice, but I had stripped all the frosting from the outside of the cake and for some reason, I thought she wouldn't know. That's what sin does to us. Sin, is, sin makes us delusional. And she comes in and says, why? And she, and she was about to cry because she had worked so hard on this cake. Why would you do this? I didn't do it. <laughs> right? That's the answer you give. It wasn't me. <laughs> And, and I, I remember getting a lot of trouble, and my mom made sure everybody in my class knew that I couldn't have cake that day because I had lied, <laughs> not only take and disobeyed. So I sat there while all my friends were eating cake, and they're like, man, this cake is so good. I'm like, shut up. 
So sin seizing the opportunity. So we receive the law. We receive the commandments of God in order to have the good life, a life honoring to God and pleasing to him, and a life in fellowship with each other. But we were powerless. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in as the ultimate example of love. The Bible tells us that whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We read that last week. So Jesus is our example of what love is. Now I wanna compare for just a moment the love of Jesus, the love of God, with the rest of the loves of this world. Take for instance hippie love. Hippie love is really not love at all because what hippie love is, is okay, everything's cool, you do what you do, I'll do what I do, and just like don't judge me, I won't judge you, and we're all, we're, we're, we're all in love, right? Well, that's just a self-centered, self-serving love. That's, don't judge me, let me do what I want to do. And I'll tell you right now, it didn't end well for the hippies. It didn't, it didn't end in love and peace and utopia. In fact, the exact opposite was true. You had a bunch of strung out people that knew how to be self-centered, but not how to love their kids. And out of the hippie generation, we have more broken families than any other generation in the history of America didn't work so well, did it? Think about Buddhist love for a minute. Buddhism teaches that reality is all but a, a, a dream. It, it, it's not real. Rea, rea, what you see is not really reality. And so therefore, the best thing to do is to avoid pain. Stay away from it. Because that was really Siddhartha's goal. He couldn't stand seeing suffering. He even tried suffering himself to see if he could feel better, and he couldn't figure it out. So what his goal was, was to retreat from everything, become nothing, seek higher enlightenment by myself. That's the idea of Buddhist love, to retreat, to get away, ignore everything going on as just a, myth, a mythical happening, a, a dream world, so to speak. Boy, that's not at all like Jesus' love. Jesus' love is active. Jesus' love, the love of God, is with us in our suffering. It doesn't always fix our suffering, but it's there and active in our suffering. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. He knew the world was broken. In fact, remember him at the gravesite of Lazarus, his friend? As his friend is lying there in the grave. Now Jesus goes there knowing he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But where do we find Jesus crying in the Bible? It's right there at that gravesite. It says, and Jesus wept. Why did he weep? I think he wept because of the fact that he saw the power of sin and death, the bondage upon our lives. We were trapped. We had no hope. Yet Jesus sees that. And he weeps, and then he gives an awesome statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. In me, there's hope. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. The Bible says that, and this is how we know what love is, that Jesus came down and died for us on that cross. He is the prime example of love. And so if we're going to abide in him, if we're going to practice the Christian faith, if we're going to live in him, we must walk in the way in which he walked, John tells us. And that way is going to be in love. We've got to learn how to love. We've got to learn how to love God, and we've got to learn how to love each other. This is tricky, because like I said last week when we talked about love, and if you were to do a, a love test, how does your love compare to Jesus, we come to two ideas. <laughs> no problem, I can do that, or that's impossible. 
the no problem, I can do it. Well, you really don't understand Christ's love at all. And it's just a, a bit of pride in you. And the, that's impossible is like they, you see Jesus' love, you go, I can't be that good, so I'll just go for, well, good enough. And good enough, the fact is good enough has never been good enough for us. The only good enough is Jesus Christ. So the, let me just uh, offer you a test of love. We can test our relationship with God, our relationship with our Father, our relationship in the light, how well we're living in the light of Christ by testing our love. I mean, think about it for a minute. We test everything in life. We test each other. We, we, we take tests. I took an IQ test the other day. Uh, it, was, it was put up on Facebook, and maybe some of you guys saw it going around, and I saw Garrett's not here. I think he, he uh, went to the Harvest Crusade, but uh, Garrett Kaler, real tall guy. You'll probably see him next week. Anyway, he put up this IQ test, and I saw he got a 140. <laughs> 140, that's it. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I can beat him, and I was really tired. So I started taking the IQ test, and I got a 130. I am not as smart as Garrett. Bummer. I'm, I'm going to try to use some excuse that I was tired, but I don't know. So I got, to feel better about myself, I got my wife on the computer. I was like, surely, surely I can beat my wife at this IQ test. And so she took the test, and she got a 130. And I was like, now I know why the Lord put us together, because <laughs> we can't outsmart each other. <laughs> but uh, we take tests all the time. And, and that's what we test. I, I remember climbing. I, I love rappelling off rocks and stuff and going out to Joshua Tree and doing this with the youth group. And it's interesting because of the anchors all set to anchor the rope down. It's this little tiny thing called a nut. And it's really, really small and has a little cable attached to it. But it'll hold like 24 kilonewtons. Uh, and that's a, a kilonewton is, is uh, the pounds dropping in force. So it's a dynamic force of dropping. So I think I calculated out that it would hold like four or five of my trucks just dropping in this little tiny nut. And I'm pretty sure that the rock would break first. But the real proof that I trust the anchors I set is that I go first. Not that I say... Okay, let me pick out a kid here. Okay, why don't you go first? Let's see if this works. You know? No, the real proof that I really do believe that this anchor is going to hold is if I go off the cliff. And, and I think that's the same thing with when we test whether we're really living in the light, whether we're really abiding in Christ, is we test ourselves. We test the practice of ourselves. But the question is, how do we test it? And I, and I want to tell you that God has given us a couple ways to test this. First of all, he's given us his word. So we, we don't have to guess at what God's standard is. He's clearly laid it out. And, and the best part about God's word is he doesn't just say don't do something. He actually tells you what to do. When, when husbands, when we're saying how, what do you mean by love your wife? God actually says how to love your wife. As Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her. Sacrificial love for your wife. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, let me start looking at Christ. Oh, okay there. Yeah, he's definitely always sacrificing himself for others, his time, his wants. Okay. So that means if I'm really going to love my wife like Christ loved the church, I'm going to sacrifice for her. And we're not talking just in by going off to work. We're talking in meeting needs. We're talking in, in loving her, listening to her, caring for her the way Christ cares for his church. 
Does Christ just say, okay, I'm go- I, I did the work, I'm off to the Father, see you guys later. No, we see Christ set us up with a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to stand in his place while he's gone. Christ is accessible and through prayer all the time. He's the head of the church. We don't see him just absent, but he's still active. He's not ruling yet, literally, but he will. But he's active. He's, a, he's not dismissive of us. I mean, can you imagine if, if Jesus, God just said, okay, do this and, uh, well, see you later. I'm out of here. It would be absent of love. We wouldn't feel loved by God. But Christ is very active in our lives. So, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving yourself up for it. Wives, submit to your husbands out of reverence to God. But when we think about that idea of submitting, by the way, both words or both terms in Ephesians where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. The, The word submit is actually, in the Greek, is actually prior to all those things. It talks about submitting to one another out of love. And then, and then Paul's going into two examples of submission. The first one is husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. The second one is wives to your husbands as well. And so when it talks about submit, it's not saying just women submit. It's, it's saying it's a mutual submission. It's an act of love laying aside one's own desires, one's own needs for the other. Sacrificial love. That is the love of Christ. Children. How do you love your parents? Well, think about it. And when I say children, I'm talking to all of us because I don't think there's anyone in this world, that, anyone in this room that's not a child at some point. How do you love your parents? Do you honor them? Do you respect them? Do you go out of your way to show them that love and care? That's how we love. So when we start testing ourselves, we probably can say, yeah, I could be better at being a loving child. Yeah, I could be better at being a loving husband. I could be better at being a loving wife. Well, that's good. That's, that's a good start. Now it comes time to submit to the Lord and let him start changing us. Again, the word of God doesn't just say don't, don't do this. He says what to do. It doesn't just say don't lie. Instead, tell the truth. God doesn't want you focusing on the don'ts. He wants you focusing on the do's. Uh, there's a term for this we use called put-ons and put-offs in the Bible. I challenge you this week when you're reading the scriptures, look for put-offs and put-ons. Look for what the Bible says don't do and then look for what it says to do. Because the fact is, is if we say don't think about the pink elephant, what happens? We're all thinking about a pink elephant. That's all we can think about, the pink elephant. I can't even get my mind off it. Especially having ADHD. What's that, a butterfly? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. All right, whatever. There we go. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we, uh, whenever we think about, don't think about a pink elephant, that's what we want to focus on. Remember the whole idea of Paul saying, sin seizing the opportunity in me riled me up. It got me wanting that even more until those desires were overwhelming. That's what happens when we start thinking about sin. We think about it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Ah, I can't help it, I got to do it. And God says, sorry, let me fix this. There we go. So God doesn't just say, don't do it. He says what to do in his word. And today, John is telling us, love your brother. Love, now, by the way, brother is more than just, just men. Okay, we're talking a generic, general term for, for those in Christ. 
Now, and by the way, this doesn't say, okay, cool, I'm good at hating my enemy, because we already know what Jesus taught about that. Love your enemies yourself. Remember, the Bible says, what good is it, what does it profit you? What good is it if you just love the people who love you? Yeah, that's no good. You're not special. Everybody does that. But we're to love our enemies as, as ourselves. Jesus called us to. So I want to challenge you all to think about how you love. How well am I living in the light as he is in the light? How, how well is the darkness surpassing in my life and the light shining all the more as First John talks about the darkness surpassing? And by the way, don't get discouraged on this. Don't, don't, don't forget, Jesus has not only set the example for us, he, he, he set the perfect example, but he didn't just say good luck. He's equipped us to do this. He's equipped us to live in him by giving us his Holy Spirit, promising his Holy Spirit to us, and giving us his word. So if you want to live in the light, if you want to live in the light as he is in the light, if you want to learn how to love your brother, as, as Christ commands us to, as John talks about here, well, you've got to start by getting into the Word. I'll tell you, when I, we were in worship today, I was convicted of something, and, and I had to pray and just ask God's forgiveness before coming up here because I realized I had said something against a brother. I don't even know the person that well, but I know I had said something, and I know it wasn't honoring to God. I had said something to somebody earlier today, and uh, I was just so convicted by it because I started thinking about loving my brother. I was like, you know what? I'm about to go up there and talk about loving my brother. And the Holy Spirit just so revealed the sin in my heart. So I dealt with it. And I dealt with it the way John taught us to deal with it last week when we talked about it. Confess your sins. If you're faithful, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to rem remove all that unrighteousness in you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, John says. I did that before I came up here because I knew that, all right, Lord, I get it. I'm not listening on this part. So there's a practical process that happens as we love. And this is where in 1 John 2, 12 through 14, I, I think that this tends to show us that it doesn't happen instant. Because a lot of us, we, when we start out with something, we get frustrated and just give up. My wife is that way with certain video games. She just, uh, I'm frustrated, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I know I do that with certain things. Uh, it just, like, we just get so frustrated, you said, forget this, this is dumb. That's, that's what we do, right? We, I can't do it, so it's dumb. That's, that's how we treat things. I, I can't play the guitar, this is stupid. <laughs> you know? I'm sure glad Nick doesn't think it's stupid to play the guitar, or Jake to play the bass, or, or Chris to play the drums, or Michelle to sing, because it's sure blessing me that they don't think it's stupid, even though I can't do it. And, and so... There's a little, a little process here. Now notice real fast in these verses, in verse 12, it says, I am writing to you little children. Let me just talk about the little children for, for, for a moment and the characteristics with the little children. The first characteristic we see about the little children is their sins are forgiven. Little children, your sins are forgiven. The, the word in Greek is interesting because uh, this is a one passage where you don't pick up the difference in the words in the Greek because they just translate the same in English. Both times it mentions children in this passage, in verse 12 and then again in uh, verse, thir uh, verse 13. The, the word is technion the first time, and, and that word emphasizes the relationship, a, a familiarity, that, that we've been 
we've been made familiar to God. Little children, your sins are forgiven. You've been made familiar to God. You've been reconciled to God. That's, that's the first time, the idea of technion in the Greek. The, the second time it mentions it, it says, children, you know the Father. It's paideon. And I know it sounds very similar, both things. And, and honestly, you wouldn't go wrong if you didn't pick up on this stuff. If you didn't have a Greek Bible, you'd still get this. But I want you to realize that the term paideon in Greek tends to be more of a emphasized subordination. subordination. Like the idea of being in, under the instruction of my father. My, my dad, I grew up doing home improvement projects around my house all the time. And he, I was under his instruction. He would show me how to use the skill saw and not cut off my finger. I still don't think my mom knew what was really happening out there <laughs> in the garage. Because I'm sure if she knew, she would not have let me do the stuff I got to do. I couldn't even hold up a skill saw. My dad had me using it. I was like, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know why my dad made me do that. But, but I'm glad he did. But I was under his instruction. I was subordinate to him. He was instructing me in the way in which I should, should use a tool or the way in which I should go. And so that, that second term there is children. You, you not only are reconciled to God, you're familiar to him because your sins are forgiven, but you also now have a relationship with him. You've entered into relationship with God, and, and he knows you. You're under his supervision now. Well, let me tell you something about God. Once you're under his supervision, he's not going to just let you go. Once you're his child, you better believe he's going to love you and care for you. In fact, Hebrews tells us that God disciplines those he calls children for our good. Same like any good father does, he disciplines for the good of the child. Dad's discipline is to say, don't run out into the street, Right? Because kids love to do that. I'm free. <laughs> Smack. Oh. You know. I know. I guess that's not really funny. Think about that. But anyway. <laughs> it's okay, people. I have three kids. They're all alive. So, <laughs> but, but I discipline my kids so they know the good in which they should do. They know the right way to go. God does the same thing with us. Once we're in relationship with us, he's not going to just let us go. He's going to discipline us. He's going to do what it takes to get your attention. The question is, are you listening? See, a lot of us, uh, some, some of us children are a little more stubborn than others. Some of us children need more spankings than other children, right? We, we, we tend to not get it the first time, and we're always going back to it. I had an issue with soldering irons when I was a kid. And first of all, I, by the way, I think my house was just booby-trapped, I'm telling you. Cake. S skill saws, soldering irons, pretty much the most dangerous house on the planet. But anyway, I, my dad would leave out the soldering irons. I don't even know what he actually did with them. I, I should probably ask him someday. But if there was a soldering iron on a countertop, I would grab it. Not even, just go, okay, there's something up there. Whoosh, there's a tool. I got to touch it. And I would get burnt. Like, it happened more than three times. I didn't learn very well. I didn't learn not to reach up and grab stuff. You know, as a parent, you hope your kid will learn those things. But I didn't learn. So it took a lot more lessons for me to finally listen. Sometimes it takes more lessons for you. Let me ask you, are you listening? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to God's correction in your life? How, how do you know it's correction? Well, I'll tell you right now, if there's a sin issue, it's correction. If, if, if there's no sin issue and you've been walking the light and you're suffering... Well, that's, that's a transformation issue. 
That's a di- totally different thing. God's conforming you to his likeness. He's teaching you. But if there's sin, it's correction. I guarantee it. The question is, do you hear? Are you listening to the Lord? The Holy Spirit will tell you, just like I was worshiping and the Holy Spirit convicted me on a sin. I said, you got to deal with this, Dave. I'm not letting you come up here and preach on it before you deal with it. The second person that we see in this last passage in John chapter, 1 John 2, 14, is young men. Notice the characteristics of young men here. It says, because you are strong in verse 14. Ephesians 6 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, outfit yourself with the full armor of God. That's a characteristic of young men compared to children. Children are familiar with God. Their sins are forgiven. Now God is instructing them. Young men, though, are preparing themselves. They're growing stronger. And they're, they're, they're being strong in the Lord. Notice the second characteristic. The word of God abides in them. Romans ten seventeen says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. How do you have ears to hear? Well, get into the word of God. The more you're in the word of God, the more you're abiding in the word of God, the stronger you're growing, the more faith you have because the word of God abides in you. Since I'm talking about faith, let me just give you a definition for faith. And you'll hear me say this as long as you come Sunday nights, you'll probably hear this over and over. I keep saying it to myself and it's, it, it's the best definition for faith I've ever heard. So if you want to write it down, get out your pencil and pen, write it on the order of worship. Um, sorry I didn't have, get the uh, sermon outline done for you today. But this is the definition for faith. Faith is hearing God speak. Faith is hearing God speak and responding to him and responding to him. I'm going slower for the people that are writing. With attitudes of dependence, attitudes of dependence, and actions of obedience. Actions of obedience. So faith is hearing God speak and responding to him with an attitude of dependence and actions of obedience. Faith is not just hoping real hard. It's not rubbing a magic lamp. It is active. It's hearing God speak. It's responding to him. Lord, I don't know how to be a good husband or a good dad. Lord, all I know is sin in my life, as Edwin talked about that, what his dad showed him. I know the bondage of sin. If I'm going to be this way, I need you to show me how to do it. I'm willing, Lord, but I need your help. Lord, if I'm going to break this addiction, I need you and your power in my life. I will depend upon you. Because you know what? Jesus Christ depends upon no one. And I'll tell you right now, I'll depend upon the one who depends upon no one any day. Versus depending upon someone who's depending upon other people, right? I want to depend upon my great God and Savior. So faith is hearing God speak and responding to him with an attitude of dependence and then actions of obedience. Lord, you said this is wrong, this is sinful, and you told me to do this, and I will do that. Not because it's easy, but because you told me. Because I know, Lord, 
My way gets me in trouble every time. Your way leads to life. Last attribute of young men, not only does the word of God abide in them, but you, they've overcome the evil one. Isn't that awesome, that, that, this idea that they've overcome the evil one, these young men, because they're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. They're, they're strong in the word of God. They're seeking and feeding on the word of God and applying it to their lives. And the result of that is overcoming, becoming an overcomer. The, Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I have given you authority and over all the power of the enemy. Jesus said that as he was sending out the 72 disciples to go and preach the gospel. He said, behold, I've given you authority and over all the power of the enemy. God gives us power if we're willing to abide in him. Last person mentioned here is fathers in this passage. And that's what I was talking about too is it's a progression. Living in the light is a progression. We don't start out as young men. We start out as children on milk, and we grow stronger, and we abide in God's word, and more and more God transforms us to be the person he wants us to be. If you're not perfect right now, that's okay. Let God deal with the sin in your life that he's revealing to you tonight. If God's revealing a sin to you tonight that he's saying, i got to deal with the way I've been hating someone in my life. I've got to deal with the way I've been treating my wife. I've got to deal with the way I've been treating my husband. Let God deal with that now. Get to the other stuff later. Trust me, the Holy Spirit will clean house in you. But let him deal with what he's showing to you now. And don't put it off. Because the result of dealing with it is fathers. They experience the characteristic that they have as a long-term relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what, that's what it says. Fathers, you've known him from, who, from, um, who is from the beginning. You've had this long-term relationship with him. That's the product of living in the light. In closing, I just want to point out to you something about black holes. Black holes, first of all, they freak me out. I don't know if you've ever thought about black holes very long, but it kind of freaks me out. I know I'm not going to be traveling to space anytime soon, but the idea of a black hole freaks me out. This whole thing just sucks away light and crushes everything. And, and no one knows why it's there or what it's there. It just sucks in everything. God is the exact opposite of a black hole. God consumes darkness with light. He consumes all of my darkness with light. And he transforms me. He doesn't crush me. He transforms me into his servant into the person he wants me to be. Well, you know what? He can do that for you tonight. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've been coming and you've been hearing these messages or you're just here for the first time tonight, I want you to know that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, he will transform you. The Bible promises that he is the propitiation for our sins. That means he is the atoning sacrifice for your sins. He removes sin from your life. And he's going to transform you. He's going to give you new life. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, don't leave here tonight without knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll go into our last worship set. Lord God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your love. And God, I just pray that you transform me. I want to be more and more like you, Lord. And I know I'm far from it. 
And I pray the same prayer for each and every one here, Lord. Let us live in the light as you're in the light. Lord, help us to love our brothers. Lord, help us to grow in you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Teach us how to love. And we pray now you'd bless our worship and our time in communion. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.